Children's Church, if you would, while you turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, read a few verses in a few moments. Christmas is drawing pretty close, isn't it? I can't believe how quickly it is coming upon us. It seems to come faster every year. Uh, hopefully you're getting your shopping done and uh, not putting yourself too badly into debt doing so. Uh, everybody uh, is uh, probably planning their perfect gift for their child or for their mate, and those are, uh, those are good things to be a part of, uh, representing that great gift that was given to us so many years ago. I'm excited about what I got for my wife this year. You have to shut your ears here for a minute, honey. Uh, I got her an automotive emergency kit. I mean, it's a good, it's the deluxe model. It's got air compressor, booster cables, everything. I'm pretty excited about that. I know she's going to be thrilled. And uh, um, amen. All right, you can now open up again. Two coworkers were discussing Christmas when they got back off of the Christmas break, and two guys are talking, they're both fathers, and so they're talking about what they got for Christmas, and one asks his friend, what did you, what did you get for Christmas? And so he says, come here, come to the window here, and he brings him over to the window, and he points out to the parking lot, and he says, you see that red Ferrari sitting out there in the parking lot? And his buddy said, no way. He says, I got to tie the color of that red Ferrari out there in the parking lot. And I think most fathers can probably identify with that one. Uh, But uh, presents are nice, but that's not what this season is about, primarily. Uh, God has sent us and given us what we need for this Christmas season. If our greatest need had been education, God could have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God could have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God could have sent us an entertainer. He needs to send somebody the ability to talk this morning. That would be good. But what our greatest need was, was forgiveness. And so he sent a Savior. And that's exactly what our need is of the hour today. Luke chapter 2, I want to read a few verses. They're very well-known verses. Many of us could, uh, could probably quote many of these as we've done Christmas plays in our past, but we'll read <coughs> together starting at Luke chapter 2, verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that the, all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria. And all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you this day is born in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there were with the angels a great host, uh, with the angel multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, 
goodwill toward men. Father, I pray that you'd help us this morning see from your word uh, a challenge for this Christmas season. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The scene that we see portrayed in verse number 7 is so familiar to us that probably as you read that verse, you saw the picture in your mind's eye. We call it a creche. It's the nativity scene. In those places in our country where they're still allowed, uh, you'll see them sitting out in people's yards or businesses, and uh, you you see the scene that we picture when we read this uh, verse in verse number 7. Usually the setting is quite serene. Mary and Joseph are watching Jesus sleep in a clean wooden manger. There's a glowing light sometimes emanating from the baby Jesus. The straw is fresh. The stars twinkle overhead. The almost housebroken cattle are standing around. Uh, The sheep are resting quietly. The faithful donkey, because there's always a donkey, all right? You know, it's just a given at the scene. There, a faithful donkey stands uh, there and watches the happy parents. Often the shepherds and the wise men, even though that's not biblical, the wise men didn't come till he's about two years old, but uh, we use that in a Christmas scene. The wise men bow before the babe in the manger. It's a warm scene, and just looking at it, you can almost imagine it smelling like a Christmas tree. Uh, it's clean, it's warm, There's a soft glow of light over the whole place, and it's just so cozy. I want to ask, have you ever been in a barn, spent any time there? It wasn't very peaceful. It wasn't beautiful. The night Jesus was born, it was dusty. It was grimy. There was manure everywhere, and it smelled bad. If the feeding trough was wooden, it would have been rock hard from the repeated soaking of the saliva of animals. In reality, the actual night has been airbrushed for us. It's been uh, almost like it's been sanitized because if there were animals at the scene, they certainly wouldn't, uh, they would have gotten in the way because that's what animals do. They wouldn't have stood by and silently supported what was going on. Go ahead, if you doubt me, ask one of our local farmers here that are in our church, can I go camping in your barn with your livestock one night? Go and, go and hang out there, get a feel of what that night would be like. You, you might see the Christmas card and say, you know, it makes me want to sing Christmas carols. It makes you want to take a bath if you go into the reality of what they went through that night. And I'm simply saying that that evening was not what our Christmas cards represent. It was cold, it was damp, it was unsanitary, it was smelly. And Mary gave birth there, gave birth in a place like that. And if you think about the story that way, it bothers us. The Son of God coming from heaven to earth, being born in a stable uh, because there was no room in the inn. We hear it so often that we take it for granted, but stop and think about it today. And I want you to just, just remind you that if we really look at this, it doesn't seem right to us. There's a kind of a violation of our own justice system as we see that. And as we look at this passage today, I want to consider the injustice, the purpose, and then the application we can take from it in the few minutes we have together this morning. Uh, Let's look first at the injustice of this story. And if you look at it, you just realize that the fact that Jesus does not belong here. He is the Son of God from heaven. He does not deserve to be treated like a vagrant or a tramp. 
He deserves to have the red carpet rolled out for him. He deserves the best the world has to offer. He comes from heaven to earth, and he ends up in a stable? How can that be? Now, suppose you were on the committee. In fact, you're the head of the committee. And your job is to write the script for how the Savior is going to be born, where, the circumstances surrounding it. I highly doubt that you and your committee would choose to have him born outside in a stable. It doesn't make any sense to us, and if we examine it, we stop to think about it, it doesn't really seem fair to us either. Why was there no room in the inn? Why did he have to be born in such humble circumstances? Now, in Jesus' day, Bethlehem, it was an out-of-the-way village. It was one of those little one-horse towns. Uh, it, uh, it, it It was a least important town in all of Judah, a few shepherds lived there, some, some farmers and, and a few merchants, and that was about it. It was a small Jewish village, famous really because David had been from there. That was really the only reason that Bethlehem would be known to most people. Caesar Augustus in Rome, we see in this story, decreed that a census should be taken so taxes could be collected throughout the empire. And so every Jewish male had to go back to his home, his ancestral hometown, to register for the census. Now, since Joseph had descended from David, uh, he had to return to Bethlehem. And it just so happened that Mary was in her final stages of pregnancy when they arrived in Bethlehem. I use quotes because nothing really happens when God's in control. Uh, you see God's hand really over this whole ordeal here. God arranged everything so that a decree went out just at the right time, so that at the right time Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem, so they would be right where they needed to be, where the prophet Micah had said that Jesus would be born in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It all just seemed to happen. But often what seems a chance in our life is actually the hand of God moving to, accom- uh, moving to accomplish the purposes that he has for our lives. If God ordains it, he'll make a way. And God does the same thing in our lives as well. Now we can call it coincidence. We can call it happenstance. But just because we may be taken by surprise does not mean God is. It is absolutely true that we will answer for the decisions we make, the choices that we make, and we'll reap the consequences of those mistakes. But only a sovereign God could make the promise made in Romans 8.28 that all things work together for good to them that are called according to his purpose, them that love God and are called according to his purpose, in ways that are known only to God. He takes even our mistakes, he takes our trials, he takes our troubles, and he weaves them together to accomplish his purposes. And that is an amazing thing. We see that throughout the Christmas story. The Bible says they came to an inn. Now, part of our problem in understanding this story revolves maybe around the word inn, uh, I-N-N, that it's talking about here. We picture a nice building off the exit, continental breakfast, uh, cable TV, all that stuff. This was not an inn of those days. It might be an inn for our days, but it's not an inn of those days. In those days, travel was dirty. It was difficult. It was very dangerous. Creature comforts were very hard to come by. But what was really important that they needed a place to stay that was safe from robbers and other highwaymen that were found along the road. An inn was simply a building where you could rest safely during the night. 
Now, Luke uses two different words for the word inn. Uh, one word refers to a small building dedicated to serving travelers. Basically, at the end of one of this building, you would uh, tie up your horses, donkeys, whatever livestock you have, and then for a fee, the innkeeper would allow you to sleep on a rough mattress kind of on the other side of the room, and he would keep the fire going to keep some kind of comfort going there. Jesus mentioned this inn in the story of the Good Samaritan. The original word, Luke 10.34, pandokaon. That is your, that's a word for the word in there. Now, when Luke tells the story of Jesus' birth, he uses a different word, katulatmo. It's a little bit different Greek word, and it basically means a guest room. This inn would be even smaller and simpler than the one that we find in Luke chapter 10. The animals would be kept in a stable, which is often a kind of a, a cave-like in, in the hillside there with a rock overhang, and then they would uh, have a little room that they could stay in, but this was not the case on this evening. They were full that night. Again, from a human standpoint, this picture just doesn't look right. That Jesus' birth, his parents would not be able to find even a room in the inn. Jesus deserved better. So why did it happen like that? And that brings us to the second question, the purpose. Now, if we believe in a sovereign God, and I do, amen, we believe in the sovereignty of God, that God is in control, we cannot think that God watching this scene, when Joseph goes in and tries to get a room, that God would say, what? I made a reservation. How could there not be a room? Now, he wasn't surprised. He wasn't taken back. Like we might have been. Have you ever gotten to a place where you made a reservation and you showed up and they can't find your name? Well, frustrating, isn't it? But this one has surprised him. The Lord knew that there was no room in the inn. If God would have wanted it some other way, it could have happened the other way. So we, we back up a little bit and get the scene again. I, I know we might be repeating it, but I just want to get this scene down in our mind today because it is such a shocking thing when we realize this is the Lord's son. This is... Jesus Christ coming from the splendor of heaven to this. Mary and Joseph made by the census to return to Bethlehem. They were in the late stages of Mary's pregnancy. Seems clear they arrived in Bethlehem a few days before she gave birth. The journey itself would have been an arduous one. Uh, Jesus was, uh, or, or the Jews, I'm sorry, traveling from Nazareth would go east over the Jordan River. Then they would go south through Perea, coming through Jude, into Judea at Jericho. This 90-mile journey probably would have taken about six to eight days, especially traveling slow, slow for Mary's pregnancy. So they arrived at Bethlehem. They were turned away at the inn. The baby being born in a stable, outdoors, in the cold if it was cold, Possibly animals nearby, they would have no privacy, no sanitation, very little protection from the elements. And again, we ask, why would God send his son into the world this way? I believe three reasons I want to bring up this morning. Number one, because of identifying. Jesus allowed himself to be laid in that manger, identifying with those that he came to save. There are three great areas of men's lives that Jesus came to identify with. He came to identify with men's poverty. He knows about our needs that we have in our life. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that through his poverty you might be rich. 
The poor and the outcasts identified with Jesus. He was one of them because of the way that he came into the world. In the eyes of the poor, royal robes excite no affection, but a man in their own garb attracts, attracts their confidence. That's almost what the Bible says in Isaiah 53.3. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. The very manner of his birth, turned away from an inn, born in a stable, is an invitation to the rejected. It is an invitation to the neglected, the oppressed, it is an invitation to the forgotten. Oh, listen, friend, we might tremble to approach a throne, but we cannot fear to approach a manger. It made him approachable. It made him identifiable. If Jesus had been born in a palace with all the riches of that man could offer, then only the rich and famous would feel at home with him. But he wasn't <clears throat> born in a palace. He was born in a stable so that all the outsiders of the world can feel a kinship with Jesus. He knows our poverty. He has promised to meet our needs. And one of the greatest truths of the Christmas story and of the gospel is that Jesus identified himself with us. It's an amazing thing. Philippians 2.7 but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So he identifies with men's poverty. He also identifies with men's problems. He knows about our struggles. By being laid in a manger, he demonstrated a connection to the common man, one who has suffered like his brethren. That's why the Bible says that he can be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Christ can empathize with believers because he has experienced what they have experienced. You ever heard that phrase, never judge a man until you walk a mile in his shoes? Uh, I've heard that all the time growing up. I didn't hear the rest of it because, until I became an adult. Never judge a man until you walk a mile in his shoes because then you're a mile away and he's barefoot. Then you can judge him all you want to, you know, but that's not the point of that statement. Don't judge a man until you walk. Jesus did walk a mile in our shoes. He did experience what we experience. And so what a blessing that is. He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was tempted like we are, yet without sin. He qualifies, friend, to be our mediator because he's experienced our life and so he can represent us to God. An amazing concept of Scripture. He knows not only about our nature but our needs. That's why the Bible goes on to say in the next verse, let us therefore come bold into the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Oh, Jesus identified himself with people that had problems. He did. In fact, of him it was said, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. I'm glad he receives sinners, aren't you? Because that's why he receives you and that's why he receives me. But even as an infant, by being laid in a manger... He was set forth as the sinner's friend. He knows about the trials we face. He has identified himself with those trials. He is able to help us through our troubles, meet the needs of our lives because he's experienced our lives. What a blessing. Number three, man's priorities. He identifies with our poverty, identifies with our problems, also with our priorities. He, Jesus detested worldly pomp and riches. Think about typically kings and rulers. They're normally accompanied by great ceremony. 
They're flanked by guards, uh, secret service. They're announced by music and trumpets. They enter with fanfare. They draw attention to themselves. Photographers follow them, take pictures, keep their faces uh, constantly in front of us and the television and magazine. They have press agents. They make sure that their image is guarded. They receive, they receive recognition and praise. Hey, can I tell you today, Jesus is greater than all the kings and rulers of this world. He possessed and deserved all the glories of heaven. Yet the Old Testament prophesied that the Messiah would be a humble ruler. And we see this in his birth. Born in a family of little means. Placed in a borrowed manger. There was no glory in Jesus' coming. The angels told the good news to a herd of a group of shepherds watching sheep. Shepherds. Why would you tell the news to shepherds, the outcasts, the lowest in society, the disdained ones, the common man? I love that, that they came to a group of shepherds. Jesus came to a greedy world in love with wealth and fame and position, and he came to teach us there's a higher priority in life. He said in Luke 16, 15, For that which is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. That's convicting. And he was born in a manger that night just to remind men of that very thing. The greatness, the greatest human endeavor should be to seek the glory of God before everything else. So not only because of his uh, identifying, but because of his approachability. Christ was born like this to show his humiliation. Now I ask you again, let's go back to your committee meeting you're having when you're deciding how Jesus is going to be born, the circumstances. Would it be suitable that the one who was to die on a cross would be born in a palace? Uh, all his life, he wasn't more, much more than a peasant. Nothing is more fitting for Christ than to be born in a manger. He had laid aside all of his glory to take on the form of a servant. Imagine for a moment that Jesus was born in the palace, in Herod's palace. Uh, he had all the finery of that place. Imagine his crib would have been bejeweled in gold. Imagine him living a life of luxury. Imagine him having servants to cater to his every whim. Can I ask you then if that were the case? I wonder if the harlot in Luke chapter 7 would have the freedom to come and to pour ointment on his feet, wash his feet with her tears and wipe them down with her hair. I wonder if the leper in Matthew chapter 8 would feel comfortable coming to Jesus, kneeling down before him and saying, Lord, if thou wilt, I can be made clean. I wonder if the diseased woman in Matthew chapter 9 would feel the freedom to sneak up behind Jesus and touch the hem of his garment, knowing that simply to touch him would bring healing on her. I wonder if you would feel the liberty to come to him. Probably not if he was royalty. Uh, all these people would have been uh, would have been intimidated by him. However, he was born in a manger, and so he made himself reachable to all that came to him. The common, dirty shepherds felt the liberty to come and approach him. Later, the cultured, wealthy, wise men, the ones that had all the education, they felt equally at home and bowing before him. I believe that one reason that Jesus favored the manger over the palace, the, uh, the stable over the palace, is that he would be available to all those who desired to come to him. 
In fact, the Bible says, whosoever will can come. I thank God for that. From the lowliest man to the most exalted king, all men have a right to come to Jesus and they can all feel free to do so. In John chapter 6, verse 37, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Revelation twenty-two seventeen. 17, let him that is a thirst come and whosoever will, let him take of the water freely. We can go all throughout the Bible and we see that theme over and over and over again. You can come to Christ. Whosoever will, his arms are wide open waiting for you. He was turned away from an inn resting in a feeding trough. As a baby, Jesus was already bearing a cross. Extreme poverty, contempt, and indifference of mankind. God has come into this world the most unlikely way. That's what it means by when the, the Bible tells in Philippians, that verse I read to you earlier, that he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant. There's nothing, nothing about the baby Jesus that appears supernatural. There were no halos. I don't care what's on the Christmas cards. There were no halos floating above him. No angels visible in the stable. No choirs singing. If you would have been there and you would have observed this, if you would have been walking outside and you would have heard that a woman just gave birth, you would have thought that it would have just been a simple baby born to a down and out poor couple. But it wasn't just another baby. It was the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the one that was waited on, the king of kings, and he was born in such a poor and humble way. Nothing about the outward circumstances pointed to God, yet it was planned by the Father since the foundation of the world. And listen, friend, you might be in a situation today. You look at your circumstances, you look at the troubles that you're in or the trials you're in the middle of, and you might say, God is nowhere near this. You might have no idea how his fingerprints are all over what's going on even in your life today. All right, the application. In this simple story, Christmas story, some amazing truths emerge. We learn, for instance, that God uses adverse circumstances, those things that make no sense at the time, to accomplish his purposes. The fact that there was no room in the inn uh, seems like an insignificant detail in the big picture. But I assure you today that there is no small details when it comes to uh, if you're experiencing it. I mean, this wouldn't have been a trivial thing if you were Mary and Joseph. And there's no room in the inn. Can you imagine the young man getting that information, Joseph, and going back out to tell his wife, I'm sorry, I'm not able to get a room. And she's basically in labor or beginning to be in labor. There's no room. But good news, dear, we can sleep in the barn. Think about that. That's a big deal to them. This would have been a hard thing to hear if you're a mother about to give birth. Mary and Joseph, no matter how much faith they had, now think about this, no matter how much faith they had, they knew, angels had spoke to both of them, that they were carrying the Messiah. But I wonder if there wasn't a moment of doubt. Maybe we were wrong about who this is. Maybe we were mistaken. Maybe we heard wrong. We got to have this child born in a stable. Maybe this isn't who we thought it was. Life is like that. We believe, we hold on, we have faith, but then everything falls apart. Circumstances start to go against us. Life takes a turn for the worst, 
And then we start having those doubts. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe I was mistaken. Maybe God wasn't in this. But, oh, dear friend, God has a way of turning bad into better. He has a way of turning trials uh, and distresses into development. He has a way of turning heartaches into happiness. He has a way of turning poverty into plenty. And all because, uh, just because life does not turn out according to your plan does not mean that it's not going according to his plan. We just got to have faith. Another thing to learn from this story is the fact that there is no room in the inn. That's also not just a secondary detail. That's the, it's basically who Jesus is and the reception he's gotten all through mankind. How sad that when Christ came to earth to redeem sinners, that men responded by putting up a no vacancy sign. And yet 2,000 years have come and gone and it hasn't changed. Men still put a no vacancy sign on the door of their heart. No to the Lord Jesus Christ. There still is not room in the hearts of people for the Lord Jesus Christ. In our society, in our schools, in many homes and sadly many lives. John chapter 1 verse 11 puts it really plainly. He came into his own and his own received him not. How sad that is. They should have known better. They knew he was coming. God had told them in many ways, many times throughout the Old Testament. Uh, but the rejection of Christ by his own people was a foreshadowing of things to come. It would mean, basically, it would speak of a world that would have no room for them. him then, has no room for him now. Jesus' humiliation started early. I mean, you talk about a humble beginning, being born in a stable. And then it continued to the very end. He was born outside because they wouldn't let Mary and Joseph come inside. Later he told his disciples when he was in ministry, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Uh, he owned nothing but the clothes on his back. When he was crucified, they gambled for those. When he died, they buried him in a borrowed tomb. Our Savior's birth pictured the whole course of his life. He was born outside the inn, and he died outside Jerusalem, Hebrews 13, 12, all because men had no room for him. Well, the question today is obvious for you, friend. Is there room in your heart for the Lord Jesus Christ? The, the final call is an individual call. The world has no room for Jesus. We can't do anything about that. The question we have to have is, do you, do I have room for the Lord Jesus Christ in our heart today? The story is told of a little boy. They were doing a Christmas play in the church. The little boy was chosen to be the innkeeper. When the night came of the play, all the children were in their places. They were nervously waiting for the play to begin. And the girls dressed as angels. The boys were dressed as shepherds and wise men. And, and the, the boy chosen to play Joseph, it got to the point in the play where he knocked on the door of the innkeeper's place. And he only had one line. He had the, there, there was no room in the inn. That's all he had to say. But when that moment came and Joseph knocked on the door, the young boy opened the door and he saw Joseph and there was, you know, the girl with the pillow and, and to simulate the pregnant Mary expecting. And he took one look and something about the sight of Mary just touched his heart and he blurted out, there's no room left in the inn, but you can have my room. Of course, the, the director's frustrated and later he tells the director, I just couldn't send Jesus away. I had to find some place for him. There was no room for Jesus that night in Bethlehem. I'm just asking if you'll make room for him. 
Will he be a part of your Christmas celebration this year? Is he in your heart right now? Are you one of his? Is he yours? Here's a good news for the worst of sinners. Though the whole world may turn you away, he'll have you. Though the whole world may turn him away, we need to not turn him away today. Uh, He is the greatest gift of Christmas. He is the reason for the season. If Jesus Christ comes in, he promises never to leave you or forsake you. What a great promise. Years ago, years ago, there was no room in the inn. And I'm asking you today, do you have room? Do you have room for him? If you're here today, friend, and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, don't leave without making that decision even today. Because if we don't make room for him in our hearts today, we will be eternally, eternally regretful of it. Do you have room in your heart for the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you bow your heads, close your eyes? Pianist is going to come and going to play a few verses in just a minute and give you a chance to respond today. I don't know how the Lord's spoken to your heart, but certainly... We need to make room in our hearts. We need to make sure that the hustle and bustle of Christmas doesn't overtake and and we don't secularize this season. We remember what it really means, and that is celebrating the coming of the Savior. Would you stand along with me, heads bowed, eyes closed, as she begins to play? If the Lord spoke into your heart, would you respond this morning? Altar is open at this time. Thank you. You can look up this way. Thank you so much for being here today, listening so well. I hope you have a great week. We're looking to, uh, just looking forward to having service this evening, 7 o'clock. We also have discipleship at 6. So if you want to check that out, we'll be here. And uh, certainly hope you have a great day, a great week, and may the Lord be with you during this season. Keep Him first. Uh, a great time to witness to people, great time to reach people during this season. When Jesus is, it's, it's in the air about him. They can talk about the fat guy with the red suit all they want to, but really, folks still know that we're celebrating the Savior's birth, and we need to promote that. Amen? Let's go uh, be dismissed at this time. Uh, Pastor Forsberg, if you'll dismiss us in prayer, please.